welcome to the FNL podcast. Our guest today is Ashley Martini. Ashley is a multi-awarded academic in the field of tribology. She's a professor at the University of California in Merced. Welcome to FNL podcast, Ashley. Thank you so much, Vicki. It's really my pleasure to be here. Usually we start the show by asking uh, our guests to describe themselves. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Ashley. No, certainly. So I guess we can start at the beginning. I'm originally from uh, from California, from San Diego particularly. I did my bachelor's in mechanical engineering at Northwestern University. And after graduating, uh, I guess contrary to, to what one might expect for a professor, I actually uh, went to work. So I didn't immediately pursue grad school. I worked as an IT consultant uh, for, for about four years before returning to Northwestern to get my PhD. After completing my PhD, I was a, an assistant professor for a few years at Purdue. And then I moved to University of California Merced about, gosh, about 10 years ago. And I have been there ever since. So you started the tribology program at the University of California in Merced. Tell us how you decided to do it or why you decided to do it and how you did it. So my graduate research was in the area of tribology. And so therefore, you know, following that trajectory, my independent research was in the same field. When I moved to UC Merced, at University of California, UC Merced, there, there was no tribology program. In fact, the university itself is only about 15 years old. So I was one of the, the earlier faculty there. And that gave me a lot of independence and a lot of freedom to develop the types of programs that I was personally interested in. So the, the tribology program has been part of UC Merced, uh, not from its beginning, but from its early stages. In terms of how I did that, I guess a uh, focus and dedication and a commitment to tribology, I suppose are the, the high level concepts, but there's been a lot of support and a lot of enthusiasm, not just from the university, but from companies in, in California nearby. So it's been a, it's been a great, a great effort and an exciting process. So Ashley, not a lot of people know what tribology means. Tell us what tribology is and why is it important to the ordinary person? Sure, that's absolutely correct. And I will admit that before I went back to grad school, I did not know what tribology was. So I am one of those many people that didn't know what it was. Um, I, I sort of stumbled into the field and I think that's probably true for, for many folks in tribology. This is the, the study of surfaces in relative motion. And what that means practically is friction, wear, and lubrication. Those, you know, those terms maybe don't mean that much to the average person, um, but they're pretty much everywhere. In terms of traditional applications, obviously anything that moves, so mechanical systems, mechanical components that provide transportation, energy conversion, these types of systems have moving parts and therefore tribology is highly relevant. But, you know, not every person necessarily thinks about what those parts are doing. However, you always are using things, uh, products, for example, that involve relative motion. For example, when you're brushing your teeth or cleaning off the counter in the kitchen, or you know, playing a sport that involves some type of uh, equipment. All of these involve relative motion and 
almost always friction, sometimes wear, and every once in a while lubrication. So turbology is one of those things that maybe doesn't um, come right to mind. And the term itself is probably not commonplace, but it's in, it's part of our everyday lives. What would you say have been the major contributions or the major milestones in the field of tribology, let's say in the last hundred years? Well, wow, that's a that's a that's a good question, and um, there's certainly there certainly have been many, and you'd have to think I have to think through in what area those advancements have come in. I mean, this this field has been around, I want to say forever, but for a long, long time. There's a, a somewhat famous, I guess, famous for tribologists picture of um, the ancient Egyptians, where a a group of Egyptians is transporting um, a stone obelisk or or statue across the desert. And in the front, there's uh, one Egyptian that looks like he's pouring liquid or pouring oil in front of the stone structure. And I guess the joke or the the common statement is that that's the first tribologist uh, he was there putting putting lubricant down to facilitate the motion of the statue across the desert. Um, you know, so certainly we've come a long way since that time. Um, at that time, in fact, it wasn't even called tribology. Um, I guess I, I don't know what they called it in, in ancient Egypt, but um, the more common term even 100 years ago was lubrication engineer. Um, there's been active work in this field, I guess ever you know since since the beginning, because we've always had we as humans have always had you know required relative motion, required or used used tools to help facilitate our lives. Um, there was a lot of work in the around 1500, actually by Leonardo da Vinci in the area of tribology. Although again, he didn't call it tribology, and the, but then the term itself. The term tribology is actually not that old. It was coined in um, in the 60s, in the 1960s, by Peter Jost, and it's a it's a term from from the Greek. I I like I actually like the term. You know, most people when you say, oh yeah, you know, I'm a tribologist, people say, oh you know, gosh, do you do you study tribes? <laughs> um, that's the that's the immediate response. So I I don't know whether the term immediately brings friction, wear, and lubrication to, to mind. But it, it certainly is a is a nice term because it encompasses more of the different aspects of this really interesting and pretty cool field. It's also, I would say, a little more, um, it's an easier term to use in polite company. <laughs> so so there's been, a, there've been, I guess that's a long way of saying that people have been working in this field for, for quite a while. In the in the past hundred-ish years, a lot of the developments have um, involved improvements in material. So 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 what do we mean by that? In a in a sliding contact, what we call a, a tribological contact, there's usually two surfaces and a liquid in between, or a lubricant in between. Maybe not necessarily a liquid. And there have been dramatic advancements in the materials themselves both the solids and the liquids, which have enabled design of much, much more efficient mechanical systems that optimize and obtain the kinds of performance requirements that, that engineers really are looking for these days. And, and of course, what most people don't, don't realize is that 
there is something called medical tribology, which involves replacements for hips and other human-related parts. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Do you ever get involved in this field, or is that a completely different field from what you're working on? That's uh, it's it's a fascinating field. I will admit, I, I will be, I will openly admit that I have not done much in what they call biotribology, which is what you just described. But it is absolutely a fascinating field. You mentioned the you know the hip replacement, all of the joints in our bodies are bearings. They are biological bearings that you know provide beautifully efficient and long-lasting tribology for throughout our lives. Um, you know, we have tri- there's tribology of our teeth. There's a tribology of our skin. There's a, so I, again, I myself am not very active in this field, but I, but I do follow it. And I think it's a, a fascinating and very important part of the field of tribology. And, and I've read somewhere that usually the reason that people have to get another hip replacement it's because of the friction and wear, because of the lubrication, right? I mean, this is like a still pretty much developing area from from I know about it. That's exactly right. And and think about think about this. So in you know most people, well, I think this is probably a true statement. That most people don't have hip replacements. So most people have biological you know, nature designed joints that last ninety years maybe more for the standard person. And that's, you know, that's just done by nature. But then we as humans try to replace that part with our very best designs. And I, I don't know the actual you know, lifespan of these, of these products at this point, but it's not a hundred years. So even despite all we've learned and are continuing to learn, it's, it's difficult to compete with the tribology that nature already does. What area are you focused on in tribology, Ashley? I'm a, I would say I'm a jack of all trades. <laughs> I've, uh, I haven't really limited myself to too much. I have studied um, lubricants and additives. I've studied surface properties and materials. Uh, my work has spanned nanoscale all the way to macro. Um, we, we use both experimental tools and simulation. I, I'm constantly interested and fascinated by the many different parts of tribology. So I may, maybe the way to say it is, um, you know, a jack of all trades, but perhaps a master of none, <laughs> but it does certainly keep me enthused and, and active in the field. What do you think is the most important thing? I mean, if you were given a million dollars today, um, what would you what would you study on? And basically, there's no there's no restriction. You can do whatever you want with a million. What would you do? Oh my gosh, Vicky, that's a <laughs> that's a question I've never thought about. <laughs> I I and I have to probably think about it more. But I can I can throw out sort of a non answer. I think it's probably um, well accepted that one of the most one of the most impactful ways that tribology can be can contribute is through energy efficiency and the corresponding impact on um on on sustainability of our planet so for example it's been it's been estimated that worldwide about 20 percent of the energy consumption in the world 
is used to overcome friction. And then a few more percent of that is associated with the energy costs required to replace uh, manufacturing, to replace worn parts. So if you can imagine that there be some tribological advancement that improves the energy efficiency by reducing friction, let's even something tiny like 0.001%, right? Or something really small. If you multiply that by the global energy consumption annually, tribologists really have a huge opportunity to, to, to benefit the world, right? So I, I, I know I realize I'm not answering your question, right? What, how, how would I do that? Um, but I would certainly look towards development of technologies that improve energy efficiency in, a, you know, in one of the dominant sectors like transportation where even small improvements can can have a major impact on you know on, on the world that we live in. Yes, it's interesting how much energy is actually lost on a daily basis and it's mm-hmm. also I think one of the interesting things about it is how little people focus on tribology because mm-hmm. uh, as you pointed out we do have a huge role. How do we mm-hmm. get the message out to the public and to um to policymakers? Vicky, these are all great questions. You're not you're not giving me any softballs here tonight. Um, this this is a really important um, important question. We as tribologists, we know how important the work that we do is, but it's not perceived as a a leading technology. Usually, I would say tribology is thought more of as a supporting or an enabling technology. And as such, it's usually not at the, the forefront or at the front of you know, thoughts about uh, government support and these type of you know, policy, policy decisions, as you mentioned. In terms of how to, how to make the, the perception change that, that I think we really need, um, my personal thought is that the, the easiest way to do it is connecting with the younger people and you know maybe that's maybe that maybe that could start earlier perhaps it could start in high school but certainly at the at the collegiate level we as you know tribologist educators we have an opportunity and we have an opportunity through all the students that we interact with on a regular basis to communicate you know not just how important tribology is and we want to communicate how important it is but also how exciting it is and how cool and how fascinating. Um, so one of my, you know, one of my personal missions as a as an educator and a tribologist is to communicate, you know, that this, there's there's this cool, exciting interdisciplinary field that can have a major impact on the world around you. And I think that if we start with the the younger generation, we can make change over time. Yes, I think, and and, and the problem is in countries like, for example, India which has, of course, a huge population and where traditionally engineering has been a big field, there's been a major shift, you know, away from, for example, traditional engineering like mechanical engineering towards more of uh, IT, uh, Mm -hmm. artificial intelligence, Mm -hmm. the sexy fields, right? How Mm -hmm. do you compete with those sexy areas? Or it seems like tribology is a little bit more like, you know, more ancient um, mm-hmm. for a lot of young people. 
absolutely. It is it is a perception problem, though. Um, you know, it, we have to we have to change hearts and minds. Um, but you know, we are competing with as you as you just accurately describe them. We're competing with with sexy science, and currently, tribology's not that. But I think slowly over time, if we can show impact. So, you know, let's take the example that you just gave of artificial intelligence. You know, we could we can say, for example, I'm just making this up as I go, of course, but if you um, how many how much energy globally each year can AI save? Right. And then compare that to what's possible for tribology. You know, that that's a head to head comparison that we actually can compete and probably win. So I, I think if we find ways to introduce the topic in terms of um, factors that matter and especially matter to young people. My, my perception of, of the, the next generations is that they are deeply committed to the environment and um, deeply care about, about the world. And so if we can show that we are working in a field that has the potential for major impact I, I think that's going to be a compelling, a compelling message. There may also, there, there's probably different approaches for different audiences. Um, what I just described perhaps is more of um, a tact that one might take for, you know, for engineers in college. But say you're, you know, say we're reaching out at the, the high school level or, or something along those lines, then, you know, then you want to, you want to get in touch with things that, that that age group talks, uh, that age group cares about. Um, you may be familiar with uh, STLE has a STEM camp at their each at each of their annual meetings, where they bring in middle schoolers to do little um, participate in in demonstrations of tribology, and companies and academics and all of us old fuddy duddies from STLE come up with these, you know, games and activities for the students to become involved in, and there have been the coolest, cleverest activities. Um, there was one that was, you know, how many licks to, to get to the bottom of the Tootsie Pop, if you remember that, <laughs> you know, and that's tribology. And they were, you know, that was explaining a very fundamental idea in tribology at the level and at the, the point of enthusiasm for, for the students that were engaged. We as tribologists need to identify our own strengths and then translate those or, you know, communicate that appropriately, depending on the, the target audience. So, Ashley, you actually teach uh, in the classroom, in the undergraduate mm-hmm. as well as graduate mm-hmm. classes. And I'm looking at your profile and it says you have 50 undergraduate students and so on and so forth. 13 masters, mm-hmm. 22 PhDs and seven postdocs. Um, those are very different age groups. Um, mm-hmm. How 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 do you approach each age group? Do you teach them differently? Like if you were to, obviously for undergraduate, they probably would not be thinking tribology, right? Because they would be basically taking the basic courses and it's only the graduate students that would probably be interested in the, um, in the subject matter of tribology. How, how do you compare the learning between the undergraduate and the graduate? And then how do you 
introduce tribology to the undergraduate students so that they may pursue tribology later on in their uh, in their graduate uh, degrees. So I teach a tribology class at, um, I teach two different tribology classes. One is to graduate students, as you mentioned, but I also teach undergraduate level tribology. Uh, it's, it's not a required course. As you mentioned, they have, you know, engineers have to take many, many required courses, but they also have, uh, have to take what are called technical electives and they can choose the topic of that. And I developed a technical elective here at UC Merced in the area of tribology. And because uh, my university is so new and I've been here so long <laughs> relative to the age of the university, there's a culture or a, you know, um, the students know <laughs> that this is a really cool undergraduate class to take. So for example, in the, la the last semester that I, I offered undergraduate tribology, I think I had 65 students, 65 undergrads. So uh, at least here, I'm able to reach out directly to the undergraduates because there's sort of this institutional knowledge that this is a, a cool class. And um, I mean, I, I do my best to make it, make it fun as well. To your question though, um, so I teach the same class, it's called tribology, but one is for undergrads and one is for grads. At the undergraduate level, I'm, I'm again, I'm teaching engineers, I'm specifically teaching mechanical engineers, but my focus is on how, how tribology fits and uses all of the other classes they've taken. That's my, my big picture. So, so what do I mean by that? So they, by the time they get to their technical elective, They've taken fluids, solids, heat transfer, thermo, um, component design, so on and so forth. Tribology uses every single one of those. And throughout the class, I try to thread through how all of those different pieces, oh, and I forgot materials, of course. A, you know, a, tribal, a, a bearing, for example, involves fluid flow of the lubricant. There's um, component design. There's heat dissipation. There's um, the the, um, the strength of materials that they take. So I try to to show that that this is a field that is incredibly interdisciplinary, in a way that not that many other fields are. At the same time, I really try to focus on how tribology matters to a lot of um, to many different applications and potentially many applications that they will be involved in once they get out into the working world. So, you know, usually they, they reach me when they're seniors. So maybe they're going to graduate in a semester or two. You know what? I want to plant the seed that this is a cool field that touches almost everything. So then when they're, you know, they're out in the world working for X company designing Y widget, they remember, oh, oh yeah. You know, this, this friction coefficient, which perhaps is assumed to be, you know, a constant <laughs> or, or whatever, is actually a very complex topic and is something I can go look in my tribology book about. So, so that's my approach and my thought process and my motivation for the undergrads. The, the grad students, as you mentioned, they're, they're already predisposed <laughs> to, to be in tribology. It's their research area. So 
for for that level of student, I try to focus on emerging fields. You know, not only here's the basics and here's the fundamentals, but where what are the emerging topics and where might one go? Where where are the boundaries that that a a student might push to to break group, new ground in the field of tribology? I think that leads us to my next question, Ashley, which is. What is the future of tribology by 2050, and what do you see as the field's future challenges? It's it's hard to predict what what the future of tribology is, and the reason that I say that is, you know, we talked a little bit about, or I mentioned a bit ago, that tribology is often a supporting or enabling technology, and not a leading technology, and you know that that might change. That might change. But it may also not. And if it doesn't change, if it's, a, if it's an enabling technology, then the future of tribology depends on the future of other technologies. So anything that moves, anything at all that moves, probably involves tribology. So as technology advances, and I don't, and I can't, really can't predict what that's going to be, but, you know, just throwing out some some topics additive manufacturing um these types of these types of technologies tribology will evolve with them so it's hard to it's hard to predict exactly where we're going to go but I, I think we will be we will be there for sure i can i can say for sure that the tribologist will always have a job because there's always going to be something moving in uh, in the in the technology as as it develops, I think um, you know kind of I think you were maybe it might not have been the answer you were you were seeking there. Perhaps you were asking, you know, where where is tribology itself going? And there there's a there's a lot of I guess we'd say emerging topics or um, you know exciting exciting topics. Exci- actually, there's a lot of topics that have been around for a while and are start to starting to be become possible. So those are also exciting. I would say that some of the some of the kinds of words that that I hear a lot these days are um, you know electric vehicles. There's a lot of a lot of excitement around electric vehicles and how tribology will evolve as electrification becomes more prominent. Um, you know those are moving parts, but they're it's going to question or challenge some of the paradigms of tribology. So that, that's going to be that's definitely not on the horizon, but right here and right now, so-called green lubricants or environmentally friendly lubricants are a topic that's, again, it's been around for a while, but it's it's really coming to the fore these days. Uh, that that um, acceleration of research in the area has been driven by, to some degree, policy change. That's, that's um, environmentally focused policy that restricts some of the materials that can be involved in that can be used in lubricants. Um, it also is is uh, being driven by I mentioned earlier that you know that younger people are are engaged engaged in the world. They they view themselves as citizens of the world and as these as the younger generation comes through the the push towards sustainability um, you know environmentally benign technologies is is becoming more and more so i think the 
the, the trend towards these, you know, quote unquote, green lubricants will, will continue to accelerate. Um, let's think. There's a, you know, this isn't, again, like I said this, uh, I'll repeat myself one more time, but there's a, a term called super lubricity, which refers to ultra low friction um, that is becoming, uh, is emerging in the sense that it's becoming practical for larger scale applications. So, so let me, let me explain that a little bit. Um, Super lubricity usually refers to, is used, the term is used to refer to a friction coefficient less than 0.01. And what that means in old money is that the friction force is less than um, a hundredth of the normal force. So very, you know, long story short, very, very low friction. Um, this has been, it's been possible to achieve this very low friction on small scales in you know very controlled environments with very very flat surfaces for a while now but somewhat recently it's been made possible to achieve superlubricity at macroscopic scales and that's a big deal because it's just that there are ways to minimize friction in practical applications right if you have a uh, you know, a bearing in, say, a, a vehicle, perhaps, where we can, you know, change, de decrease the the friction lost, or I'm sorry, decrease the uh, energy lost due to friction by by a factor of of ten. You know, that is that is phenomenal. If you then extrapolate that across all of the vehicles in the world, it's amazing, right? So, so it's just a it's an exciting it's a topic, it's a term that's been around, but recent recent advancements have made it possible to, to think about macro scale super lubricity that, that really is, is pretty exciting. Now, Ashley, is there a space race in the area of super lubricity? Is China ahead of the U.S. in this research? Honestly, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I, I'm not sure. I think that it certainly benefits everybody, though, if there's a if there's a race towards super lubricity, because the potential impact for minimizing friction in practical applications is is tremendous. <laughs> well, the reason I bring it up is, of course, you know, uh, during the Trump administration, particularly, um, the U.S. had how would you say did not have a very good relationship with China. And perhaps that would change. But in the academic world, um, you know, traditionally, um, tribologists around the world gather together uh, during international conferences and they do share information, right? I mean, this is not an area where politics really play a role. Am I right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I can't speak for everybody's everybody's opinion on this, but my perception is exactly the same as yours, that scientists and particularly tribologists from all over the world meet at international conferences, you know, show their, are, are excited to share their results. I've found that tribologists are great collaborators and there's a lot of enthusiasm for working together across international borders to, to move the field forward. So I, I don't think politics has come into this, at least not, not from my perception. And I think it's a really good thing. 
Now we're recording this at the end of March, 2021, and we're still in the midst of COVID-19. So it's been more than a year um, where we really have not had uh, much in the form of international gatherings. In the in the university, though, how did you cope with COVID nineteen? Uh, how did you did you go into online completely, or did you do a hybrid? Are you allowed to go to to the campus and teach? Uh, no, we I have not taught an in person class in over a year. So we we um yeah we went we went remote, and by by went remote. I mean that I brought my webcam home and I, uh, I've taught from my, my home office um, for, the, for over a year now. When, when, we, when it first started, it was, you know, it was difficult. I, I'm used to remote communication. As I mentioned, I, I, like others, I have collaborations with people all over the country and all over the world. So I'm used to Zoom. I'm used to remote collaboration. But teaching and particularly a big class. So, um, you know, when the, when COVID hit last spring, I was teaching 120 students that, that doesn't lend itself well to the remote teaching environment. And it was, it was difficult. And, uh, you know, all, all faculty faced this, um, all teachers faced this actually at all levels. Um, my, my personal approach was to, to combat, to combat um, the digital with the the non-digital, so I got a giant whiteboard and I put it in front of my webcam, and I I actually teach at the whiteboard while swinging my arms around and you know jumping up and not jumping up and down, but you know I mean engaging the students any way possible. Um, Many students are now taking classes that are taught from PowerPoint slides or notepads or, you know, they've lost the, the in-person touch. So, you know, my, my little part of this or what, I'm, what, I'm, what I've been trying to do to keep students engaged is be present. So even if I can't see them, I, I imagine them and I try to reach out to each one of them and engage them as much as possible in the in the conversation, in the, in the lecture, it's, it's not easy. I mean, not, not, I don't, I don't mean for me. I, I mean, for them, it's, this is, this is hard. It's a hard time for them. Many of them returned home. Uh, many of them are trying to learn in a, in an environment that's not conducive to learning I mean, for, for many, many different reasons. It's difficult to, you know, they talk about, we talk about, we get zoom fatigue. Right, these students are taking you know three classes all on Zoom, you know, with hard hard engineering content. It's uh it's been it's been difficult, and I've seen students struggle. But we've tried to tried to keep them engaged, try to keep them learning and excited about the topic. Um, you know, there's been there's also been good things. I've I've uh, you know you can it's now much easier, for example, to show a, a small video than when you're standing in front of 120 students in a lecture hall. So, so there certainly have been benefits as well. But it's, it's, been a, it's been a challenge in terms of teaching. So do you see um, um, school coming back very soon with the vaccination going relatively smoothly in the United States? 
Uh, at least for our university, they're saying that we're going to be back in person when the fall term starts in August. So that's the that's what they're saying right now, and and I'm hoping that that's the case. Well, that would be a real relief, isn't it? I mean, uh, human contact, we're all human beings, and we all really thrive with uh, interaction with people. And uh, obviously, this is not an easy time for all of us. Ashley, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing you one of these days. Vicky, thank you so much for inviting me to do this. It's a, It's been an absolute pleasure. And I will definitely look forward to crossing paths with you in person at some point soon. Take care. Have a good day. You too. Take care.